This is First Class Counselors, another innovative podcast brought to you by Camp Hacker. First Class Counselors is dedicated to young and up-and-coming camp mavericks. By equipping and empowering our on-the-ground staff, camp directors can rest easy knowing that our campers are having the true life-changing experience that parents expect. Find our show notes and our blog for camp leaders and professionals at camphacker.tv. Welcome to First Class Counselors, where we give camp counselors insider tips and advice on how to make a camper summer the best it can be. I mean, hey, you've only got a few days of staff training in the summer, so think of this as your year-round endurance training for the marathon that is the summer to come. My name is Matt Wilfred, and I'm the executive producer of podcasting at Go Camp Pro, and I'm so glad that you are here listening to this episode. And my name is Oliver Gregan. I'm the executive director at YMCA Camp Winona. My pronouns are he, him, and I am excited about today's topic because today we are talking about ages and stages. In fact, this is a two-part series for us because many many camps are working with campers from as young as four all the way up to 18. It's a big gap in development for emotional, physical, and mental development. There is one thing that you can be certain about And that is the way you take care of a four-year-old is not the same way you're going to take care of a 12-year-old or an 18-year-old. This two-part series is splitting it up. We're going to call it littles and bigs. And what are some things that you need to know as a counselor to focus on? And for clarity, for this two-part series, we're just covering the first batch, the littles right here. And in the next part two, we're going to cover the bigs. But in part two, we're only going to cover that 11 to 14 range. Uh, We're going to save those 15 to 16 and 17-year-olds for maybe part three one day. But to start us off, Matt, do you want to let us know some of the things we need to know about ages and stages before we really dive in? For sure. I mean, uh, so this episode, we're talking about 4 to 11-ish, right? Um, And especially for 4 to 11, you know, kids are so unique and we forget what it's like to be a four and 11 year old. So that's why we wanted to start with this one. Now, what I would say is that, you know, a lot of camps are going to do this ages and stages as part of staff training. You know, it's really kind of prerequisite learning, but if you want to be a first class counselor and be a, a keener, uh, as we say on this show, sometimes I, I would encourage you to check out um, the famous stages of development from famous psychologists. So you have, you know, Piaget, Erickson, uh, Vygotsky, there's tons of different people um, that have many different theories and and some of them are different in terms of you know what they believe what age you know what falls at what age but some of them cover very different parts of social emotional physical um, mental they, they cover a bunch of different things and and that's not what we're going to go through on this podcast because we'll just send you we'll put some links in the show notes and you can read that yourselves what Oliver and I are going to focus on for this episode is how to contextualize all of that into the summer camp experience so what do you as a camp counselor need Need to know when it comes to working with in this episode four to eleven year olds. Yeah, and I think the cool thing is for many of you who may be in childcare or taking care of kids, uh, you may have heard some of those famous psychologist names when you're going through school. So please don't leave yourself out from doing a quick Google search, finding some information about them, and trying to do some some of your own detective work and contextualize it in your own mind as well. And you'll be able to see that out on the camp grounds a lot easier if you have a better understanding of those theorists and what their theories are. But for us, breaking it down today, uh, we're going to say 
what we call the triangle of care. And it's something we've definitely talked about in the show. It's something that I teach all my staff about them getting a better understanding. So when they're looking at a situation, they can evaluate, figure out, and kind of grade where they're supposed to be falling in this pyramid. So the first one I always talk about is emotionally. Um, this is covering social situations, personal thoughts like self-esteem, um, that feeling of missing home sometimes. Um, it's feelings. And that's really what we're talking about when it comes to emotion, right? And we'll get down to mentally next, which is what do campers understand? The complexity of language that you're using, the complexity of the rules that might be in a game, uh, how long their attention span may last, um, appropriate content and discussion when you are just speaking or acting around them, right? Like the jokes that you do in a skit are going to be very different for an eight-year-old than they are going to be for a 15-year-old. So where are they at mentally in their development? And then finally, physically, right? What kind of activities can they handle, right? We're talking about our gross motor skills, the big things like throwing and catching, but also some of those minor skills, right? The fine motor skills, like being able to write something out on paper or, um, you know, even like breaking a twig, like into little tiny pieces, right? Or like peeling something, like um, like peeling an orange. Those things are fine motor skills. And you may need to help a younger camper with those. Uh, and then some other things that they need to remember too, like their self-care, showering, the bathroom, the changing of clothes, um, the unspoken conditions that they might not be able to voice, right? I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm mm -hmm. sleepy. So physical is a huge one. And the thing is, I, a lot of people always say that there's these three topics and some people ask, add some other ones and put some different levels to it. But I like the idea of this triangle where they're all technically connected, right? Someone's physical health and their physical needs are connected to their emotional and still connected to their mental and mental is connected to physical, right? Like everything comes together into this triangle of where we're trying to give care. So that's really where we're going to focus as we go through. We're going to break it down into those three groups and then see how well um, we can hopefully contextualize it to you, our listeners, uh, how you can see and grade it when you're out of camp as well. Matt, what do you want to add into that? I think for me, I think that's a really great breakdown. And I love that triangle of care um, metaphor because different pieces of the triangle connect with each other. It's almost like, like a three circle Venn diagram as well, right? There's going to be overlap in the different sections as well. Uh, so, uh, we're, like I said at the start, we're going to try and contextualize that and give you some of our best tips and practices. Um, when I think about this age generally, I always get a big smile on my face because this is the age of camper where it's all about enthusiasm, camp magic, and buy-in. These kids love being at camp. They love just like going for a run. They love um, when people get into character and create a world for them to live in. Um, all of those kinds of things work really well with them. Um, and you don't, uh, you know, even, even up to 11, uh, when you're up to 11, it can start coming on this, but you have just that loving desire to be at camp and they're not as socially awkward as uh, when puberty starts rearing its ugly head. So you get a lot of great things because of it. Um, and, the cool thing about this age is that it's where we can be really proactive with their social emotional learning. So we have lots of opportunities to teach them social and emotionally positive behaviors and cues without them necessarily understanding um, empathy or logic or reasoning yet. They're developing those skills and they'll really develop them when they're a little bit older. But if we can teach them cues like holding the door for somebody or asking about how someone's day was, 
they just do it because it's the thing that the adults in their life told them to do. And then when they get older, they'll start to understand, oh yeah, when I hold the door, it really serves my community. Or when I ask them about their, someone about their day, that shows that I'm caring about them. So a lot of the tips that we're going to give here are kind of the proactive tips um, that we can help raise amazing young kids so that when they're older, we have to do a lot less reactive behavior management. So um, this really sets the stage for success in the future. Yeah, and you, uh, you're you going to connect right into a point that I want to make when we go into our first category here with emotional boundaries of this kind of prepubescent kid, right? Um, they're learning about other people's feelings, that empathy that you were just talking about, Matt. Like They, they don't fully gather it. They know how they feel, but their actions aren't always... Um, <laughs> for others, right? They're, they're mm-hmm. definitely thinking about themselves first. Um, and, but it is really cool because you as a mentor of them, if you're teaching them these things, you start to see that as you coach them through the synapses in that brain of understanding, oh, somebody else's feelings were affected by this. It's really beautiful because it's really obvious in younger kids, right? Um, once they get that realization and they may forget it five minutes later, right? That synapse that you created is not a permanent one. It's not going to be there um, forever and ever once you do it once, but you're building on it. You're training that little electrical signal in their brain to go off, to think about other people when you build in those routines, like keeping the door open for somebody else. And to go into that, to build those, I like to talk about this core idea of giving kids tools to communicate their feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think of that octopus, like that little stuffed octopus that has an angry face. And if you fold it in on itself, it becomes like a happy face. Yeah. You can like put it on your desk or like um, where people can see it. So they know like if you're happy or sad, um, that's a clear visual thing that little kids can see and they can go, okay, cool. I can tell that's where I'm supposed to be emotionally in this in this area mm-hmm. and there's a lot of ways you can do that around camp I, i've seen camps that have done things like putting a stoplight on the bunk so like a green light means come on over and hang out with me in my bunk a yellow means like ask me permission first i'm kind of like in quiet mode but like i'll also talk to you and red means like i need my personal space and those are clear decisive things for kids to use to kind of start to figure out what their emotion is and they can understand like what emotion is proper in which situations. Um, and another, another thing I think is really important for you as a counselor, especially with little kids, you can start to develop a secret language to them, something mm-hmm. that you and they can communicate properly with each other or when you're moving amongst camp to be like, hey, are you upset right now? And this is a great way to like maybe introduce sign, American sign into your camp where you know you and a camper might be able to sign something to each other to let them know like, hey, um, I'm not feeling great today. Um, can you help me out? And finally, the last tool I really like to, to do with younger kids is writing or drawing. Um, some of them might be still learning their letters or they might still be learning like how to write full sentence and stuff you get in that really young category. Um, but they can still draw pictures. And it's not about how well they write something or how good the picture is. It's about them being able to take that five to 10 minutes to display how they're feeling onto a piece of paper, right? To fully contextualize what's going on in their head to help build on that emotional um, emotional strength and ability. Uh, so if you are doing that with a kid, give them those five to 10 minutes to, you know, really think about what they're drawing and to describe their day. Um, mm. 
And that way they can then be able to communicate their feelings too. So that's my big one with emotional boundaries is really the ability to communicate it. I think that's super smart, Oliver. I like this because when kids have big emotions or even small emotions sometimes, they're not um, exactly logical, right? As we, as as you know, older people would, would deem quote-unquote logical. Um, but they're still feeling those things, and, and, and those feelings are extremely valid. It doesn't necessarily matter the reason that they're having a meltdown in that moment. If it's gotten that far, it's, it's that they're having it. So I think I like, Oliver, that you – it sounds like you have, like, tasked – our listeners to be emotional translators this summer uh, with those wee ones. Um, I, I want to share a, a couple tips here when it comes to you know big emotions because we know that it's it's going to happen, right? We know that that eventually kids get pushed past their boundaries, um, and we we got to know how to deal with that. And, and the first way is for sure understanding early warning signs so we can again be proactive and not reactive so we we should know with campers what it looks like when they're overtired or we should know what it looks like um, when their needs aren't met in some way when they're feeling maybe left out we did a great episode called um Super Supervision, I believe it's called. I'll link to it in the show notes. That is all about looking for those early warning signs. We warning signs. We talked about um, the Darling framework, right? When when all of those things are happening, this is what we need to watch out for. So I'll, I'll make sure I link that in the show notes. Um, so being proactive is definitely important. Um, but if it does get to the point where they're in those big emotional times. It's really important to remember that learning with this age, learning doesn't happen in those big emotions, right? You cannot get someone to learn, a, a young one, to learn when they're melting down. It's not a teachable moment. It's a moment for you to help, again, help them translate their feelings so you can start to get to it because then when they're calmed down, then that's where you can start to kind of understand and help them understand. But but you bringing out like the frowny, smiley octopus while they're having a meltdown, don't even bother. Not worth it. Um, my my go-to strategy is giving them space and letting them have those emotions. And um, the, so two things. One, at the start of the week, you if you know that the campers you know might have that tendency, you can establish a spot at camp where they go to. And maybe your whole camp kind of has a go-to spot or a couple of spots where they know that if a camper's sitting by themselves in that spot, don't go to them. Let them let them handle what they're doing, and then that counselor will approach them. The other thing that at um, Pierce Williams, when I worked there, they had this sign. I can't remember which. They had a bunch of hand signals for the counseling staff, but one of them, I think it was like hands behind their head or, or something like that, was just the way to communicate, I've got this. Totally fine. The kid's melting down, it, it, you know. It's fine. They will be okay eventually. As long as they're not hurting themselves or others, let them do what they need to do so you can get to the to the good emotions. Um, the other the other thing is that um, we're gonna we've talked a lot about missing home on this podcast because we know that again we know that that's going to happen. But when it comes to an emotional reaction, sometimes they are going through emotions for the first time. Right? They, they might not have ever been away from home for this long or felt that sense of love translating into longing, translating into you know, missing and being upset. So uh, this is my favorite age when it comes to emotional stuff is just to go through your strategy book until you find something that works. Right, the, it, You don't necessarily have to have a logical connection to find a solution with them. So when it comes to m- mitigating that, you know, again, we're not talking to them when they're, when they're yelling and screaming and saying, I want to go home, I want to go home. 
wants to get them to be a little quiet. They can still be teary and stuff, but this is why this is your chance to kind of go through a bunch of different strategies and find what works best for that camper. I think that's that's definitely for all ages, but it definitely rings true for this age group. Yeah, I think you hit something really well there, Matt, where when that camper is just too much energy, right? Emotion exhibits energy, right? It's it is a fire that has to burn out. Whether it is sadness or anger or even excitement, right? Like mm-hmm. Yep. Someone's really happy and enjoying themselves. They want to ride that moment for as long as they can before they're tired or the, that luster for the moment is gone. So I think that's a great point is like, yeah, don't bring out an octopus or don't ruin the, like the high moment because you're trying to get control over the situation. You got to sometimes let those moments occur. Um, I can really remember this camper once upon a time that I had, who was super, super angry. And in order to mitigate his anger, right? We said, all right, what can we control in the situation? And that's, hey, he's willing to move to another area, right? So we got him to move to another area. He was still angry and still mad and he wanted to throw things and punch things and break things. And I was like, hey, how about this? We jump as hard as we can in the air and we stomp down on the ground, up and down, stomp, 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 like a big giant. And within a minute of doing that, maybe even 30 seconds, he just expended the energy he had in him that was directed towards anger into the stomping on the ground. Um, and and do we always want somebody to expend their anger into like a violent stomping on the ground? No, but we have an eight-year-old kid who could control themselves to direct it in one direction in a non-destructive manner Mm -hmm. with supervision around and all these other, and all these other factors made it possible for that kid to calm down in in a relatively short amount of time in a controlled manner. And, you know, like after that 30 seconds of stomping, he like had this big smile on his face. And he was like, man, that, that really worked for me for a little second there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that was really cool. One thing that I did leave out for about communicating, and it's just because some of our kids are younger now, and um, sometimes writing is a little bit more tough, tougher. Uh, I do know of a first grade classroom that was doing like the office interviews. Um, and they would like had a little like cubby in their classroom and the kids would go into the cubby and they had like this old, like, I don't, I'm calling it old, but it was probably like a 2010 <laughs> camera that they would just right. turn on and it, they would like turn the camera on when they went and they would just talk about what was making them upset in the class or what was going on in the classroom. And then they would turn it off and they would go back to class. And then the teacher, like it was left there. It's not like the teacher ever did anything with the video other than go and watch it themselves. Um, and they just, they talked about all the funny stories that kids <laughs> would tell going into the little, the little office booth. And it was That's a little funny. first grade class. So maybe oh, it's man. something that you could do in your cabin or something. Um, or maybe they just do it with a mirror, right? To make it a little bit easier. All right. We're going to hop on down to our next part of our triangle. Um, and that's physicalness. Um, that whole physically caring for our younger campers. And it's really important here. Like we're talking about a, still a pretty big age gap. That like four to 11 or you know five and 10, like there's a lot that happens in that time period, right? There is like a, an initial like growth spurt that happens um, right around that like five and six. And then they kind of stay the same for like eight, nine and 10. And then all of a sudden they're going to start to hit that early onset of puberty and they're going to start growing and, and changing st- uh, a little bit. But there's also just a big difference in where they're like gross and fine motor skills are at this point. So you really got to think about like what your games and what your activities are going to be with them when moving around. Right. So like some gross motor skills are like you're working on throwing, catching and basic kicking. You know, sometimes like even an 11 or uh, 12 year old has trouble shooting a basketball into a hoop. They just don't have the upper body strength yet. So you might want to go to the shorter hoop 
to play those games. Um, even kicking a soccer ball in the right direction or with enough force that it can actually travel across the field. These are all things that they're still building up on strength. Um, the other one I bring up is with um, like archery. If you're going to archery or something like that, pulling back that bowstring, it might cause a little bit more physical challenge. And, and that's a big deal because there's, there's a big difference sometimes even between like a fourth grader and a sixth grader, um, which is, you know, is, you know, what now eight and 11, um, and where their physical development is. Um, and that's, that's important to think about, um, where they're going to be physically capable of completing some of the tasks or activities that you might be having them do on camp. And that's just talking about their physical capabilities and motor skills. Matt, what are some things physically you think about when it comes to younger campers? Well, building on what you were just saying there, I, I think that you're right. It varies so, so, so much. And kind of the, the so what of that for me as, as camp counselors is that we need to plan for that when we're planning activities and programs. You need to take extra time to go back to the fundamentals of pulling a bowstring or shooting a ball or those kinds of things. And just because you have a group of 10-year-olds, there might be one kid in there that when you say, okay, we're all just going to, we're just going to go play a game. Right. We're just, just go like, let's play pickup basketball. Um, whereas if you spent that five minutes of like, okay, let's review some proper shooting techniques. Um, some, some of these physical skills, you're going to help, uh, at least one camper for sure feel much more included. So, um, just remember that it takes them longer to learn these things and, and try not to assume because assuming can uh, leave kids out. And that's obviously not what we want. When, when it comes to physical things to be aware of for me is there's, there's two. One is that they tire so easily, which is, which is great. Um, especially when it comes to bedtime, if you, if you run them again with that enthusiasm, they'll go to bed. But with, with all of these physical things, they don't, have the ability to regulate those physical things nearly as well as you know a 12 to 15 year old or, or 12 or older kid will and uh, that means that you want again to be proactive about the situation um, I have <laughs> one of one of my favorite camp moments was when I was a, a peewee counselor peewees are six or seven years old and I was sitting across the table from my camper um, and I was just watching him slowly fall asleep at the dinner table sleep sleep, sleep, boom, head into a bowl of spaghetti and then woke himself up with spaghetti all over his face. And he was a good sport about it, but he was so tired and it was adorable and he had spaghetti all over his face. So after we cleaned him up, um, my head counselor actually came over to me. This is when I was a counselor and said, hmm, I noticed that he's really tired. Has he been getting rest during the day? And I thought to myself, I went, oh man, you know, we kind of missed rest hour because I had this really cool, fun thing planned and they were all into it. And, and the head counselor said, that's awesome that you did that. Just remember that there's still more fun after dinner that we want them to be a part of without falling asleep. And I went, oh, of, of course that makes sense. And and this is everything. This is going to the bathroom. This is getting enough water. Um, all of those things you know, at the end of the day, they're at the age where we have to manage those things a little bit more and they can't regulate it. So, you know, with the older ones, I'm a huge fan of natural consequences. You know, like if, if a kid runs himself, tires himself out, gets a little bit sunburnt, those kinds of things, we could, there's teachable moments in that. Um, I'm not going to let a kid get seriously hurt or seriously sunburnt or any of those things, but it's, it's, it's not kind to do that with a younger kid because they, they just don't have 
not only do they not have the regulation, they don't have the future planning ability as much to be like, oh, if I don't drink water, I'm going to be super dehydrated and cranky. Or if I run around all day and don't rest, I'm going to be super tired. They don't think about those things. They just say, I want to run because it's fun, period, full stop, I'm going to go run. Right, so uh, the kind and compassionate thing is to look over their needs, but you can also still build teachable moments in that as well. You know, when you are when you are walking from place to place, you know, always make sure their water bottle is full. Everybody goes to the bathroom when we're when we're transitioning from point to point, and we can teach them in those moments and say, "Hey, we haven't been in a little bit, so let's all go to the bathroom and try, even if we don't think we have to." Or everyone's going to fill their water bottles because that's what we do. And and kids are, because this age is such a, you know, along for the ride, if you will, stage, they're just going to do it. And again, we're teaching them great lessons that will help them as they get older. Yeah, I think you had a huge point there too, where taking care of their basic needs is a huge part of your job, like for their physical needs, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you like brought up sunburn. You, you, talk, you talked about like making sure they have enough food and water. Um, a big thing for me is making sure they're changing their clothes, right? Like yes, yes. You can have you can have a nine year old who loves their like red Captain <laughs> America shirt, and they will wear it every day if you don't get them to. Actually, uh, it wasn't Captain America. We had a kid this summer who did not want to take off his shark shirt. He had okay. a shark shirt on every single day, never wanted to take it off. Um, so we eventually went to like lost and found. We found another shirt that had a shark on it, and we were like, "Hey, look, we got a backup shark." shirt for you. Got him to switch in the shirts, literally brought his other shirt that he had worn for two days and we couldn't get it off of him to the laundry, washed the shirt, brought it back to him the next day. And we're like, here you go, buddy. You can go right back into that shark shirt. And then when mom came, she was like, I only saw him in shark shirt photos. Why did he never switch his shirt? And we explained like, Hey, look, we washed that shirt three times in the week that he was here. Um, <laughs> just to make, And we found another shark shirt that he like wore while we were washing it. We did everything we could. And she was like, Oh my God, that's hilarious. So um, <laughs> making sure you're taking care of those physical needs is huge. You guys. Um, and, and I th- and think that regulation Matt, you talked about is so important as well. And you're going to see that the physical needs, your campers are going to dramatically change when we talk about the older campers in part two. So don't miss out on that. It's going to be a great episode. But moving on to the rest of our triangle of care here, we're going to talk about mentally caring for these younger campers. And a lot of people sometimes get these confused. What is the difference between mental and emotional care? Mental is their cognitive ability. It's it's their logic. It's their solving of problems. It's their understanding of bigger concepts in our world. That's the difference between that and emotional, where emotional is you know, how am I socially getting along with other people? How do I feel with my personal self-esteem? How did the situation affect me? So there's that difference there um, <clears throat> that we want to talk about. And with younger kids, obviously, they are not as experienced. They have not had as much schooling. Um, they have not seen how big and grand the world is. And even some simple things that you can have a lot of fun with are like, get two different sized cups and put the same amount of water in them and ask them like, which one has more water? And you will find out that a six to eight year old can't figure it out. Like that law of like conservation of property or mass, or I'm forgetting my science now because I'm live and talking on a podcast. Please don't insult my science knowledge because I'm usually pretty good at it. But that like little concept blows their minds and it's so much fun. And you can do that with kids this age because it's like magic. Science is still like magic to them. So enjoy that moment. Um, 
But it's also really important that you as a counselor are thinking about this when you're working with them. Are your rules to, to the point? Are they simple to understand? Now, granted, you want to do that with everything, but when you're working with younger kids, it's so, so important. Um, you know, try to keep things within like five basic rules that they can understand. And they repeat them back to you. Have them say like, what's rule number one? What's rule number two? What's rule number three, right? If they know the rules well enough that they can repeat them back to you, then your game that you were playing is simple enough. And, and let me tell you, there's plenty of games that are so simple. I once played a game of clap catch with kids for like an hour. And here are the rules. Get ready for it. Someone throws the ball to you. You clap your hands and then catch the ball. That's, that's the game. There's nothing more to it. You then they get to then throw the ball to somebody else. They clap their hands and catch. You can put some changes in there where like you get to stand in the middle and then you try to throw the ball to them, like at a quicker pace or behind your back. And they got it right. But at the end of the day, clap your hands, catch the ball. Those are the rules. And it makes it such a simple thing. And you can do it with those younger kids. It's really practicing on that physical gross motor skills we were talking about with throwing and catching um, the reactionary skills. It's a great game there. You, you just got a You just got a game to play with kids, but <clears throat> going back to it, right. Those rules are short and simple and, and it's not complicated. And then the other thing I like to talk about here is your, uh, your topic of conversation to say the least, what, where, what is the coverage of what you're talking about? And I like to say, keep it PG. Think about Disney, right? You're not going to talk about things that are inappropriate or past what their age uh, limit is. They might bring them up. They might've caught something on the internet. Mom or dad might, you know, let things slip at home. This is like swearing and appropriate language, inappropriate topics. Um, really keep it within what their, their age group really should be paying attention to by what general culture is. Um, and this is really tough as a counselor, right? Because you you might be 8, 16, 17, 18, 19. And this is kind of part of the co-parenting as a counselor you have to do where you have kids who are coming from all different walks of life. We're coming in with all different experiences mentally of what they've uh, covered. And now you are going to have all of them in a cabin. And you got to make sure you can mitigate that conversation to where it's appropriate for every single kid in that cabin at an appropriate level. So you have to be ready to say, hey, that's not something we're going to talk about tonight. Maybe that's a conversation we can have another time. Um, if this is something that you really want to talk about, uh, let's talk about it after with, ju- with just you, know, you, me, and another counselor, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Those types of lines are totally acceptable to say so you can keep the level of conversation uh, appropriate for the kids that are in the cabin. And I think that's really important. And then I have the point already, but science programming, it's like magic to them. You can, you can do tricks and stuff and they'll never understand what's going on, but it's really cool and they enjoy it. Awesome. Um, I, I think that one of the, the coolest things about this age group mentally wise is that they are, they are looking for role models. They are actively looking, um, but not in a way of saying like, I want to be like you when I'm older. Cause we, again, we know that the, the future planning isn't exactly there, but they, they just want to be, uh, they're going to take your example with everything. So you've heard me talk about IAAT or I am always teaching that little acronym, um, which is Travis Allison's unified theory of, of summer camp. And that basically it's just that in everything we do, we are teaching them how to be and mentally too. Uh, this is, this is, this is it, right? So just be aware that when you are doing things, you are setting the example and teaching them without actually saying 
that I'm teaching them. It's how you interact with others, it's how you interact with them, it's how you play games, all of those things. The one thing that we haven't quite talked about yet, but I think definitely does fall under the mental category, is social development, right? At this age, this is where they're starting to make friends, they're starting to develop those connections, empathy, all of those things. But again, this is where we have the ability to expose them to friend-making behaviors. And the way that we can do that as, as camp counselors is that we mix up the partners. We mix up the seating, where they're sitting at every meal in the dining hall. Maybe maybe even mixing up their bunks, if that's something that you can do. Maybe like a changing spaces kind of, th- kind of idea. Um, or, you know, if you're walking from place to place, you can say, okay, you're going to walk with a buddy and I want you to link arms and try to only walk with three feet. See what happens. See how you can do that. Just give them little challenges where they can have experience my go-to way to help kids make friends is to play a game with them and invite somebody else into that game. So maybe you're playing Gaga Ball, maybe you're you're playing uh, Oliver's amazing game of throw clap, and you invite another kid in to play that, so that you you don't ha- like they don't have to go out and invite that person. You you could say, hey, it looks like that person wants to play. Would you like to go invite them? Um, but even easier is you calling that other camper in to say, hey, let's play this game together. And then you have the ability to help them forge their own connection because the kids aren't thinking terribly deeply about those connections. But if they are having a positive experience like play with one another, they start to build those connections on their own. So um, be aware of you know, the idea, we talk about cliques and, you know, exclusion a lot. We'll, we'll definitely cover that in our next episode. But, you know, if we teach kids to recognize that it's fun to play with new people and it's fun to try new things, that's where we get them. Uh, and that's where we start to, again, set ourselves up for success in the future. Yeah. And I think rounding it off at the end of the day, like if you can think about the development of your kids while you're with them, right? Where they are on these ages and stages. You can think about how you're going to adapt activities for them, situations in your dining hall or when you're in like a gathering or just chilling in the cabin, right? All those areas, um, these are helpful tools that you can use or at least have in the back of your brain to think, okay, how do I want to come about this situation? Or even on a frustrating day when you're just tired and you're like, man, I can't, I don't understand why this doesn't happen. You can think to yourself, oh, wait, I have to remember my kids are developing. They're still learning and growing. And that's a huge Mm -hmm. part of this is where are they at mentally? Where are they at physically? And where are they at emotionally so that I can take care of them in the best way possible? And with that being said, uh, we always end our day with a little bit of an ever-growing and ever-learning, also known as an eggle. Um, So Matt, do you want to kick us off? What do you want your eggle to be? And I'm kind of laughing at what I can see in the show notes. Yeah, Oliver, you might know this. This is a different name, but uh, it's it's Oliver's favorite eggle, which is a camp song. So I have a song for you for today's eggle, um, and it's inspired by my nephew. I went over to to see him the other day, and he's he's at like I think he is five now, and he's at the perfect age. He's like I can't wait for him to go to camp because he's exactly who I'm talking about when it comes to that like energy and just being excited for life. He is that kid. Um, so I taught him this song, and he nearly pooped his pants because he thought it was so funny. Um, so the song is called Ontario Milk, but obviously you can change it to whatever state you're in. Or if you want to use Ontario Milk and say that my best friend Matt from this podcast that I listened to taught me this song, so I want to keep it Ontario Milk. Whatever you want to say. Um, and the song goes like this. So um, 
with your body, you're gonna you're respelling milk essentially. So I would teach the chorus of the song, and it goes like this: Don't give me no pop, no pop. Don't give me no tea, no tea. Ontario milk, moo 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 moo. Ontario milk, moo 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 moo. But when you say Ontario milk, you're gonna turn your hands. I, I guess if you know, like if you're cracking your knuckles. Um, if for those of you listening who can't see right now, you might want to watch on YouTube. If you crack your knuckles but leave your thumbs hanging down, your thumbs become the udders of the cow. And so this is done with a partner, and you go Ontario milk, and then one person grabs your thumbs and goes moo 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 moo, and then the other person switches. You go Ontario milk. Moo, 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 moo. And you let the other person milk your thumbs. So that's the chorus, okay? The verse goes, give me a long M. And then everyone goes, M, a long M, right? And you can make it with your body. And then you go, give me a short M. And then you make it with your fingers. You can make a little M. And you go, M. Then you go do the chorus. Don't give me no pop, no pop. Don't give me no tea, no tea. Ontario milk, moo 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 moo. Ontario milk, moo 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 moo. Then you go give me a long I, give me a short I, give me a. Then you you know do the chorus. Long L with your whole body, short L with your fingers L. Then don't give me no pop, no pop. You, then you with K, and then you go give me a long milk, and you say chocolate. And you go give me a short milk, and you say skim. Then you go give me no pop, no pop. Give me a tea, no tea. Then we invented another verse. It was give me. An even longer milk and you go homogenized and you go give me an even shorter milk and you go soy don't give me no pop no pop don't give me no tea no tea ontario milk moo 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 ontario milk moo 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 that is ontario milk one of my absolute favorites and it's a great song for kids because it just repeats it's not a repeat after me song but it repeats over and over and and they will love milking each other's thumbs and and the even better part is watching teenagers do it because they're so awkward about it um but it's some good old-fashioned campy fun Oh, yeah. I've definitely heard that one before. Not Ontario milk. And I do have a question for our listeners who may be wondering. Mm. Ontario milk is in a bag. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? Is bagged milk? It, it can be in a bag. Yeah, you can buy it in, you can buy it in a carton. Um, you, or, but, you know, growing up, we had it in bags. You get a bag with three, um, three like one gallon, not gallon. I can't remember how much, a quart, three quarts of milk, and a quart is in a bag, and you put it in this little holder, and you cut the end off, and that's how you drink your milk. Canadian thing. Canadian milk. My my tip is, um, just because we're talking about milk real quick, um, I know I already did throw clap, but um, milk for those of you who may not like drink a lot of milk regularly, or like you might be buying milk occasionally, and then it goes bad really, and you're like, oh man, I barely used all of my milk. I switched over to oat milk like maybe six months ago because I was trying to get, put less dairy in my diet. And let me tell you, oat milk lasts longer. It tastes really good. You don't really notice the difference too much unless you're like really picky about your milk. Um, and for me, a single guy who lives alone, who like uses milk occasionally for tea in the morning, um, the long lasting oak is a huge helpful tip for all of you out there. That's not too much of an echo for everybody, but Hey, I look, like it. it. It works for me. And, and Oliver oat milk is the perfect milk to take on a canoe trip with you. We took, we took a little like tech this summer when we went on a canoe trip, we took little like tetra packs of oat milk and they're, they're sealed, but they can get warm and be in your food barrel till the last day. And we had milk with our coffee on trip. It was, and it, and it really tasty. It's got that extra little bit of, a little bit of a uh, little zhuzh to it, if you will. Yeah, a word we're starting to use a lot more often on the show. <laughs> yeah, it's almost, it's kind of, it's a little sweet, I think, is the best way to put it, right? Uh, yeah. 
Um, but there you go. So you learned throw clap, which is, is technically what my eggle is supposed to be. But also you're getting a little <laughs> bit of tip about the different uses of oat milk uh, for those who are those of you who are trippers or um, or just you know occasional milk drinkers. You need a longer <laughs> lasting storage of milk. Um, but if you enjoyed today's show and you would be so grateful um, if you left us a review where you ever you are listening to this podcast, your ratings and reviews not only tell us what you like or don't like about the show, but it helps boost our rankings and helps more people discover the show. And please make sure that you check out the show notes. We did talk about some links in this episode to past ones and uh, the stages of development articles. We'll have all of those for you. You can find them at gocamp.pro slash FCC. You can find out how to get in touch with Oliver and I on there. And there's lots of other great stuff that you can find from our past shows and the other GoCamp Pro podcasts. And with that being said, thanks for listening, friends. And remember, camp is camp and camp's all good. First Class Counselors is brought to you by Beth and Travis Allison, Summer Camp Leadership Training and Marketing Consultants. Thanks for listening, friends. Hey, Camp Pros. We love that our industry is built on sharing. In order to foster that spirit, if you've gotten even one good idea from a Go Camp Pro podcast, masterclass, from the Summer Camp Professionals Group, a conference, or wherever else, we ask that you give credit where credit is due. That way, it'll encourage camp pros to keep freely sharing their ideas and make the camp industry as a whole better.